You're listening to the Mindful Headlines Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Janner Castro, and today we're going to talk vaccine lotteries. We'll focus on Washington State, but it doesn't really matter where you're listening to this. If your state has a lottery, it's relevant. And if your state doesn't, but you wish it did, well, this podcast might make you a little less envious. Let's face it, the chances of winning that $1 million jackpot are pretty slim, but someone's got to win it, right? My guest this week is Professor Garrett Milam from the University of Puget Sound. He teaches courses at UPS on game theory, experimental economics, and behavioral economics, among other things. He has a PhD from University of California, Santa Cruz, and has used his research throughout the years to help engage local governments in better urban planning. Professor Milam and I will discuss what mechanisms are at play in the vaccine lottery and who might be influenced by it. Also, what's going on in our brains when we start to daydream about being the grand prize winner, and is that rational? And here's something you may not have thought of. Does winning a prize for getting a vaccine crowd out the altruistic motives, the do-gooder feeling we sometimes get when we're being selfless? Oh yeah, and why aren't the smaller prizes being claimed? I hope you enjoy our conversation. Garrett, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I'm happy to be here. Okay, all right. So this vaccine lottery in the state of Washington has gotten a lot of attention. And we've seen these vaccine lotteries all across the country. Ohio started it, and there's a lot of hype. I want to ask you to begin with, were you surprised that we actually have something like this going on? Uh, I wasn't surprised. uh, But uh, yeah, I I wasn't surprised because I think that really uh, governments are trying to pull out all the stops and I, I maybe was a little surprised by the format, um, but in terms of being in a lottery form instead of some other sort of in- direct incentive uh, that it, it's you know deterministic that everybody gets. But it's interesting for sure that that so many uh, states are are choosing to use these you know randomized lottery. Uh, incentives. Well, I will say, I really am excited about this conversation because I think there's so much to dive into. You are a behavioral economist professor, and I am so excited about asking all these different questions about what motivates people to play in a lottery, to um, utilize this system, where people, you know, will change their minds about getting a vaccine if this thing actually works. So let's dive into it. What is the difference between this kind of lottery and an actual lottery where you're paying, you know, maybe $1 to $5 and you have a little bit of stake in the game versus this where everyone's just kind of thrown into the mix? Right. I mean, the the underlying mechanism in terms of, you know, whether you win the prize or not is really no different, right? It's just the stakes, how large the prizes are. Um, And as you pointed out, it's, it's, you know, in this case, everybody was entered and you entered whether you knew it or not, right? When you got the vaccine, anyone who gets the vaccine, uh, even prior to the announcement. This is a type of lottery where clearly the the goal of the lottery, and there are other mechanisms out there um, or other ways in that this is used for other policy goals or other like to encourage people to save or to try and get people to do things that are desirable for their own health and other health outcomes. Uh, so it's not unprecedented that people have tried this. Um, the, interestingly, the other style of lottery, sort of the Washington lottery, where people go and buy a ticket, right, or the Powerball that are these, you know, multi-state uh, lotteries. In those cases, uh, it's a very different mechanism, right? They're not trying to change your behavior in terms of 
inducing you to do something. There's not a positive outcome for you associated with participating unless you're the winner. Uh, and you have to pay to play, right? And so there's really a balance there. And so they're very different from the incentive to participate or the incentive for people to opt in, like you were talking about, people who may not have otherwise been vaccinated or would have waited longer if they're choosing to do so because they heard about the lottery or because they're thinking they might win the lottery. That's inducing that behavior, whereas just buying a lottery ticket, that's your own choice and sort of a financial, it's gambling, right? It's essentially gambling, uh, whether it's for entertainment and just imagining what could happen if I could win or uh, other things where people may believe, likely mistakenly, that they have a good chance of winning or that they're going to walk away with some big prize. As you said, you're kind of entered into this thing no matter what. If you got a vaccine three months ago, we didn't even know there was going to be a lottery and then you're already entered. So, yay, you may have won and you didn't even think about this when you entered. But obviously, the whole point is to try to get people who are not vaccinated right now to perhaps get a vaccine so they get a shot of this big prize, which is one million dollars. Why not just pay people to get the vaccine. So when I go in, I just get 20 bucks. I mean, if you just paid every single person, that's probably the amount of money that they're going to end up spending on, you know, a million dollars grand prize plus the 250,000 plus all the other prizes that you can get. Sure. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's really an interesting thing, especially because that, uh, you know, direct incentive, you know, if they didn't apply it retroactively to all the people who did it on their own, right, it's going to be a lower cost uh, you know, you could do it at a lower cost. There's a few answers to that that I think, and you know, granted, this is not based directly on empirical evidence of this particular policy, but just sort of based on the ideas from behavioral economics and psychology, okay. uh, and what we've seen from other studies uh, and other examples. So, you know, first of all, you have to think about to, to get at that question of what would induce somebody to come in and do it. Clearly, uh, as you said, this is targeted to get more people to come and get vaccinated. Uh, I don't even believe that, that the people who designed this think that it's going to get everybody or even really everybody up to that 70% threshold that Inslee has cited as what he wants to, to see happen. Um, the people this is going to impact really are the people who are right there at the margin, right? They're, they're Maybe they're being referred to as vaccine hesitant, uh, or maybe they're just not wanting to undertake those inconveniences. So somewhere in their head, there's this balance of the costs versus the benefits and they're at that tipping point, and that might push them over. Those that are either ideologically uh, opposed to it or really have uh, either misinformed, unfortunately, about the risks, they're not going to be swayed by a lottery, most likely. It's these people, that, the target, I imagine, population are these people that think, why not? Why not? I might win. You know, just I was probably going to do it anyway, or I was sort of thinking about it, but I wasn't sure. And it, that, this is why it becomes very interesting from our, our perspective as behavioral economists, because there's no way that the incentive of the lottery at these stakes with the number of people who are entered, especially as we said, they're automatically entered. So, you know, I think it was 3.9 million for the first round that I heard. There's no way that somebody's making a rational calculation about what we refer to as the expected value, even just going and getting the shot when it's quote unquote free. Uh, there's costs associated with that, right? And, and side effects that you may receive from, you know, what causes you to miss a day's work or something like that. Um, so if, the, if those are reasons people are hesitating, this rational value, I mean, I worked it out with just the large prizes uh, sort of back of the envelope. It's about 50 cents uh, is what we expect is the value of, of participating versus not participating. <laughs> those costs are going to be substantially higher than that, right? It's probably almost not much in yeah. gas just to just get. So 
a rational person who's making these, these decisions based on their expectations of winning based on the real probabilities is unlikely to, to jump in because of the lottery. But the behavioral incentives are what's interesting, right? Because there has been some evidence and the reason these types of mechanisms are used, and quite honestly, the reason that things like the regular lottery are used to raise money for schools uh, and things like that uh, are because people tend not to be rational when it comes to probabilities and gambling and, and ideas. And not, not even referring to problem gamblers, but just in terms of the decision uh, of whether to opt in or opt out in these sort of uh, randomized mechanisms where there's some small fractional ch- chance of winning some huge prize. So. Does it play into this idea that we like to daydream, right? So as soon as we do lottery stories on the news all the time, I cannot tell you how many times I've had a conversation with my co-anchor about, well, what would you do if you won $200 million, right? So we like to imagine what would our lives be like if on the off chance we were that one person that won the grand prize. Does it play into that emotion? I believe it does. I mean, this is me speaking, not citing any particular empirical study that, you know, somebody's found that this is what people do. Uh, but because, I mean, there are other, are other behavioral mechanisms that can come into play in terms of our inability to really rationally process those very low probabilities. We tend to fill in those gaps with other things, these things we call heuristics uh, that are rules of thumb that our brains use to process things work for us most of the time pretty well but in some cases will sort of lead us astray or make us make decisions in a different way than we might otherwise. Um, but I, I think you're exactly right in the sense, and I've had those same conversations even with respect to this. I, I was uh, talking to some people standing around and we were mentioning this. Uh, and they're like, what would you do with that 250,000 if you won? Or, you know, because it was the day that drawing occurred. Um, and so I think that there's a tendency to work backward from envisioning yourself as the winner of that money because somebody's got to win, right? That's a thing you also often hear. Uh, envision yourself as what could happen there and you get some kind of you know, cognitive benefit from that. And then you, you sort of move back from that and say, well, let me look then at the cost of going there of that possibility, even if you, where you're not really factoring in how remote that possibility really is, right? In reality that it may not really be worth the cost that you're undertaking. Uh, and let me be straight. I, I do believe that, you know, I want m- more people to get vaccinated. If it encourages more people to get vaccinated, by all means, that's fantastic. But, you know, from a rational perspective, this is not an incentive that's going to directly drive people to, uh, you know, make it worthwhile. Like you say, a direct payment. Generally, economists tend to favor direct payments because they're, you know, people can make sense of them. They're exactly, you know, you can balance out the costs and benefits or the CEO, I can use this to go buy food or put gas in my tank or something like that. But, you know, there are very different mechanisms at work in terms of choosing which way to go with this. We talked about the entry, right? So, okay, I go and I get my vaccine and perhaps, you know, you'd favor direct payment. I just get 20 bucks. We also talked about how this is very different than a traditional lottery where you're buying a ticket and you have a minuscule chance of actually winning, but you have to put something in versus where you're just kind of thrown into the mix in this case for the vaccine lottery. But I think it's interesting that there's not just one grand prize. There are a lot of prizes. And that means that our chances increase of perhaps knowing someone that won. How does that play into incentivizing people as well to jump into the game? Yeah. And that's, I mean, that gets to one of those heuristics that we, that we think about is that because we're not very good at working with the overall probabilities that many people are not very good at working out or 
cognitively processing the implications of a very small probability outcome, we tend to fall back on things that come to mind or we're influenced by things that are front of mind or that we see. So even if, you know, if we see something, a story on King Five or something that here's this winner, I know they're not publicly announcing the big grand prize winners, but, or if you, you know, like you say, if you tend to know people or if you tend to see people who are impacted by this, and quite frankly, that actually goes both ways. I mean, it goes to the to the decision of whether or not to get the, the vaccine. I think more people would be encouraged to get the vaccine absent an incentive uh, if things are worse in Washington state and people are seeing hospitals fill up and they're seeing people around them. And, you know, I think that's a, that's one of the factors that's behind this slowdown is that that is a rational calculation where they're sitting or, or you know, where they're sitting around and they're, they're using the information, uh, not the actual risk of getting the, the disease, uh, although that is diminished by other people getting vaccinated. Uh, but, you know, they don't see their friends and neighbors getting sick or they don't see the ho- local hospital filling up uh, or read stories in the newspaper about the uh, local hospital filling up. So it doesn't feel like as much of a risk. So really, do I need to undertake these costs, which are going to be something you can directly relate to as a cost of, you know, oh, I'm going to feel really terrible afterward. Or, you know, there's the unfortunate sort of misunderstandings um, about, oh, well, the, you know, the, the, the hesitancy that people have about it, it was it happened so quickly. Can we trust it? Is it, you know, and what did, did they rush it through? Did something happen? You know, that mistrust in there. But those are all factors that come into play of whether people are deciding to jump in or, or, or stay out. But, you know, getting back to the, to the, um, to the lottery side. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's different if you're making a decision to buy a ticket versus if it's a situation where you're just opted in. And again, it's those people that decide to get in. What are they influenced by? What decides, what, what helps influence their decision cognitively of, or make it more prominent in their minds that that's going to happen or that there's a possibility that I can get a prize. Oh, I, you know, know somebody or know somebody who knows somebody who won Seahawks tickets or some, something like that, even though that probability that they're going to get it out of the, you know, 3.9 million or whoever it is, uh, is still frighteningly low. And they, in their mind, that's not where they're, where they're going to, right? They're going to, they could, they did. Why not me? Right. Um, and along those lines, I think it's really been fascinating to see as we're reporting, people didn't claim their prizes. There's a lot of people that just either didn't check their voicemails, their emails, or they didn't get back to the lottery officials. And so they're not claiming their prizes. Those might be drawn again later because you only had 72 hours to claim it. Um, What do you think about that, especially given the format, because you don't have that buy-in, you're just kind of thrown into this, that people aren't even really paying attention if they won the million dollars or not? Sure. Uh, So, you know, well, and I think the 250,000 was claimed, right? So that big one was was claimed. Uh, But with the smaller prizes, there there could be a couple things going on here. It's definitely interesting to think about. Um, you know, who knows if it's just a sort of thing, it is a pretty short window to claim a prize, I would think, the, the 72 hours. But even so, uh, you know, I've talked to people and I don't want an echo dot, you know, <laughs> okay, you know, it's not a prize. I didn't choose to, to get in there. But there's something else going on here that I think is really interesting from a behavioral perspective could be going on here. Uh, there's some evidence for from a behavioral perspective. And that's how incentives work for these sorts of things. Uh, where people see this as a virtuous thing to do, right? Uh, getting the vaccine is virtuous. Uh, I'm helping my community. 
in not only helping myself, but I'm helping in this fight against COVID. And there are some studies that show in, in those kinds of situations, incentives can actually, especially if they're modest incentives, and if you really think rationally, this is a pretty modest incentive or one of those small prizes is a modest incentive. Two things. One is that extrinsic incentive, that the direct incentive of receiving a prize can crowd out that intrinsic incentive of having done it. Now, if you that doesn't have to do with claiming a prize, right? If you won the prize, you win the prize. It's sitting there for you to claim. Although there could be something, you know, mentally that if I take that, then I'm somehow sort of selling out for that, right? I'm not, I'm not doing it for the good of that. I'm getting the prize. Um, but I think there's also in a medical setting some evidence that people see incentives direct incentives is repugnant, uh, that somehow it's, it's. I, I heard the term, and very technical term here, icky, right, for people to be compensated for doing these things, yeah. uh, that somehow there's something about that that's immoral or not, doesn't jive with their own self-view of who they think they are and why they do things. And so that could be going on there too. There could be sort of this sort of cognitive uh, if I go and claim that prize, that makes me sort of a, a sellout, muddy the waters by by getting in there. I've already got my vaccine. I'm fine. I'm know. not surprised to hear you say that because I feel like in conversations with my friends and family, there have been two reactions, either excitement that they could potentially win a cool prize or that same sentiment of, well, I already got the vaccine and why not? Why isn't your health an incentive enough and then you add into the mix people that just simply cannot get the vaccine. They can't for medical reasons, or there's a really strong reason why they don't want to get it. You know, when we're talking about being rational, maybe it's someone close to them who has fallen really sick after getting a vaccine, or, you know, there's a whole host of reasons. And I think that this narrative that we've created sometimes blocks all of that out as well, because we do say, well, this is the right thing to do, but it's not for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that's very true. And, and you know, for, for those people, another thing they might be saying in terms of thinking, you know, there can be sort of public-minded things or equating it with the lottery, which with some people doesn't, with, you know, like the, the regular pay lottery, which to some people doesn't have a very high reputation, right? They think of it as, again, repugnant in some sense or, or exploiting people, which you, you could make an argument for. But uh, the idea that, um, you know, what that, because I mean, it's not, this isn't a, a, a free, you know, paying out these prizes is not free. The, the, when economists think about these sorts of policies, it's not, does the lottery encourage more people to get vaccinated? You know, that's one question. But that's not the, the right question to ask. The right question is, if you're spending two plus million dollars on this lottery, does it get more people to commit to getting vaccinated relative to the next best use of that? Is there something else we could have done in terms of public education of getting those people, you know, dispelling that misinformation or uh, directly doing more to get the vaccine to people where they are, if there are barriers, you know, direct barriers or paying employers to compensate people four days off if they're suffering from uh, side effects in the days after they get the vaccine, which I've heard is one of the things that's, you know, remains to be a barrier for, for a lot of people is concern about that, that they, they're going to miss out on income. So, you know, that that could be going on here, too, in terms of this idea. And I think that's a very, a very valid argument, right? Is, the, is this the best thing we can do with this, these public funds? And so people may have, a you know, again, a, an adverse reaction, something feeling like it's it's icky, not even icky in this case, this is, you know, a waste, right? Think of it as wasting public money 
when people should be doing it, something they should do, or maybe there's other ways we can we can help you know the most vulnerable people are finding ways to get the vaccine. But you know that's that's a difficult question to answer in terms of we're not going to. As we say, you know, as an empirical scientist, we say we don't get to observe the counterfactual, right? We don't get to see what would happen if we had done X instead of Y unless we do like a randomized control trial of policy options, which almost never happens. Right. My mother always talked to me about that growing up, right? You just have to choose which way you're going and then you really never get to go back and choose the other path. You have to be content with what you did. So I can imagine that's really hard to look at the pros and cons when you're, you don't have that evidence. Um, But I do want to ask you, um, we are sitting here, we're recording a podcast about the vaccine lottery, and it's been in the headlines. It's going to continue being in the headlines as these prizes are drawn. There has to be some value in that as well, that I'm sure when they were putting this game or thinking about the lottery that the officials were thinking about, right? And how does that factor in? Yeah. So in terms of uh, just, you know, broad publicity or positive publicity associated with, you know, as long as those caveats we were just talking about, as long as people aren't seeing it, because you said there's people you've talked to that are of two minds, maybe some people are reacting negatively. But if on balance, people are responding positively or even getting that news out there that like it keeps people because I think there is a little bit of fatigue in the population in terms of uh, you know, the vaccine's been out there. This X number of people have gotten vaccinated. It's not this mad rush to get vaccinated. There could be this sort of thing where it's like, oh, well, it'll always be there. Right. Because, so, again, it's not even necessarily like get vaccinated or not get vaccinated. It's how soon you get vaccinated for some people. So I think it could have a positive effect along those lines. Like you say, it is a big publicity hound, right? It's bringing up this idea and just getting people, as both of us have said, people are talking about it. So clearly there's an impact there from a social perspective. And so it's in some sense, keeping vaccines relevant to people's minds because they're busy and they've got lots going on. You know, maybe it makes them think about it and go, oh yeah, I need to go do that. Even if, uh, you know, if they'd been putting it off or procrastinating. Yeah. I find it interesting. Like you said, it's not that you can't go and get a vaccine or we're assuming that you can't go and get a vaccine in four months, we're assuming that there's going to be more supply of vaccine. And there's been a lot of conversation about having to get a booster in the future as the virus also mutates and changes, which then, you know, we could launch into a whole conversation about the effectiveness of the vaccines, which we're not going to do in this conversation. But I think that that's also something that not everyone, like you said, isn't necessarily in a hurry. I could see how this might be the tipping point, but it also goes back to those incentives that we saw early on right? You can get a couple of Mariners tickets if you go and get your vaccine at the ballpark. They were offering that for some time. I think a lot of people sat back and said, but I got my vaccine right when I could. I didn't get anything for it. How Mm -hmm. does that play into people's minds? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's certainly interesting. And that could be, you know, a problem. Like we're, again, we're just sort of laying out all the possible things we could do. That could be a problematic uh, issue for, say, if the state now started giving people, like you said, 20 bucks or 50 bucks or something to, to go get their shot. You know, people might react to that and saying, hey, unfair, right? I, I didn't get that or didn't receive that. It, so that's possible. I mean, again, from a rational perspective, it shouldn't matter. I mean, you made the decision on your costs and benefits of doing it. It was worth it to you. So that's what matters. You know, you, you don't know everybody's circumstances. Maybe they need that compensation. You know, there's, but that's not what people process, right? People will, will go through and go, wait, hey, what do you mean? 
And so, you know, when you start to see, you know, people might even be kind of angry saying, oh, these people waited and now they're, they're benefiting from waiting, right? And that's not, that's not right. I mean, what about those of us that were responsible and stepped up and, and did our thing? So we do tend to simplify. Uh, I think we like to simplify things down into sort of a, a monolithic, everybody, everybody's like me and everybody's going to be uh, in the same circumstances in terms of whether or not they get the vaccine. And that's just plainly not true, right? Everybody's making their own calculation individually about whether it's worth it for them or uh, where the incentives are, are right to get out and do it. I think you've already answered this, but I'm going to ask again, who is influenced by this kind of game or the lottery? Who tends to play? Who tends to be swayed by these incentives? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think we covered it to some degree, but not not directly. Um, it's hard to say. I mean, again, I think the idea is there's two things at work. Again, it's not going to be the hardcore ideologue against vaccines for whatever reason, or people who really strongly believe that it's too dangerous or something along those lines. So there's people where the the calculus of cost versus benefit is pretty close. So it doesn't stake a super strong incentive. And then there's the behavioral dimension where, you know, quite honestly, uh, it's going to be somebody who uh, may play the lottery or may uh, play into this idea where that idea of the fantasy of winning is strong enough. And so the idea of the way that they figure out, oh, that's an incentive for me. And they're not making this calculations, right? It's just like they hear about it and they go do it. But when we think about it from a process of sort of the cognitive things going on in their head, uh, something in their brain convinces them that there's a strong enough incentive in there uh, of the potential win. And, you know, so they're using these heuristics, uh, uh, you know, one of them we discussed with these probabilities, availability bias or, or something along those lines, or just poor probability misperception where they overestimate uh, how likely something is. So, you know, and that could be anybody. It's not saying that oh, these are uneducated people or these are, uh, but I think it's people then, so there's two factors. There's whether they're fairly close to, to going and getting it or not. And that balance that we think of on the scales and this puts the finger on the scales, but it's not a rational finger on the scales. It's not saying, oh, that 50 cents that I'm going to get on average from, you know, winning a prize. It's, what you were talking about before, where their their brain processes it as why not me, or the things that weigh in on it are the size of the prize. I mean, there's the other issue, you know, when you're talking about the design, uh, and you said we could do this lots of ways. You know, why uh, for $250,000 prizes and not $1,250 prizes, right? Where more people could win smaller amounts. Uh, I think that goes back to, you don't think about what would I do with $250, right? <laughs> it's what would I do with 250 or what would I do 250,000 or what would I do with, with a million dollars, right? Uh, and that is a draw, even though the math is exactly the same, <laughs> right? In terms of your likelihood of winning, the, the, the idea is there, uh, that rational incentive is pretty much exactly the same, uh, if not a little stronger when you factor in something we call risk aversion, like the, how you perceive rationally think about risk uh you know the in fact the more smaller prizes would be a little stronger incentive there but so you know I, and and i will put my skepticism out there as well i'm not necessarily convinced that it's going to be a large number of people that are going to be excited uh you know directly at least you know maybe there's those that are being reminded oh yeah i would have done it anyway and i'm going to do it uh because now these are 
user there. Uh, Let me ask you this. Um, as a behavioral economist, when you saw Ohio launch the lottery, we waited for quite some time. And Ohio has, the officials there have claimed that the lottery has been effective and that they saw a big jump in vaccinations, but they were earlier on in the vaccination game, if you will. So do you think the timing also will affect how much this impacts the population here in Washington? Yeah, I think it could, um, because, I mean, I, what you'd really need to do, and I haven't looked at this in detail, but we, what you'd really need to see, I think, uh, you know, that kind of goes back to the last question. Uh, if when Ohio launched it, there was a large portion of those people that we were just talking about that could be swayed by this or that were on the on balance or we're going to get it anyway, maybe it pushed them up and made, it, made them do it faster. Uh, you know, what are the barriers to people getting vaccines still in Washington state where we're, you know, and the numbers we're at when we launched it? Uh, and are the people that are not yet vaccinated, not vaccinated, you know, just delaying uh, or just vaccine hesitant, or uh, are there other barriers that they're facing that the vaccine's not going to address, uh, whether they're their own beliefs or, you know, worries about the, the side effects taking them out of work or just the side effects in general, those kinds of things. Um, so yeah, that's, I, it's interesting. I hadn't thought about that in terms of the timing, but I think it you know, naturally, you would think that it would have a have a lesser effect if we're further along in the process um, with more people vaccinated, because uh, clearly it's not incentivizing anybody who's already got it. Right. We already did. Right. It. Uh, so. um, and then I want to get your thoughts quickly on um, what this means for the future going forward. I know that we're in unprecedented times. We're in a global pandemic and the vaccines were developed quickly and it's not. I think a lot of people would like to compare it to maybe a flu vaccine, but it's not quite the same because it's definitely a different disease. And we don't really know how this virus is going to change and morph as the years go on. Um, but do you find it a slippery slope that we have this game and we have a lot of incentives? You know, we have this joints for jabs program that has not really taken off yet, but there's that that's been thrown out there. You know, we've seen people standing in line to get a free hamburger so they can get their vaccine. What about in years to come? I mean, are we going to continue playing these types of games to incentivize people to get a shot? Or are we going to go the route of informing the public about, you know, the, the costs and the benefits of getting a vaccine, both health-wise and monetarily? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, there's a few things here. Um you know, first of all, from a public health perspective, you know, subsidizing the vaccines and providing them either at low cost or no cost, that makes a, a rational, you know, because of the spillovers that are associated in the public health benefits in general, reaching uh, either approaching herd immunity or having greater, you know, knocking down the transmission even some. Um, but I think there, you know, you could get into the situation where people are now associating, I think it's with that intrinsic, extrinsic incentive thing, right? I'm not going to do it necessarily for, because it's the right thing to do or for my own health. I'll hold out and see what I get. Now, you could push back against that a little bit. And I do think, you know, this actually gets away, the way you open the question. Uh, I think people do recognize we're in extraordinary times. So let's say this does become like the flu vaccine, um, where we need to get re-inoculated every year because the antibodies don't stick around. Uh, you know, permanently. Uh, we already know that. We just don't know how long. Uh, and, you know, if, if COVID is circulating and there's different variants and things, uh, if it does take on that sort of perennial 
uh, vaccination. Uh, I think people will, I think there are, there are things behaviorally where people will start to internalize that as something, and not everybody gets the flu vaccine, right? right. Uh, but um, where people normalize it, just the idea of getting it, uh, and maybe will not rely on, oh, well, why aren't they paying me now? They paid me back then, right? Or there, why, wasn't, why isn't there a lottery now? And, uh, and there was then. Uh, so I think I'd like to think maybe <laughs> that's where I, where I land is that I'd like to think that's where people would end up. Uh, and that right now people, uh, understand that, you know, it's sort of extraordinary times and, and trying to push this out and get, you know, everybody inoculated as quickly as possible, uh, you know, get the vaccines in, in arms as quickly as possible. <laughs> We're uh, not going to have to give out free beer for yeah. uh, inoculation for the rest of our right. lives. No. <laughs> but it can't, I mean, you know, there, 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 there are, there is some evidence, um, with, uh, the, uh, actually in the realm of blood donation, there was some research and it's a fairly small study. Uh, but there was some research that showed that, uh, incentives worked, direct monetary incentives worked, uh, to induce more higher rates of blood donation. Uh, but that it, then there was this expectation built in. And so it actually diminished subsequent donations that were not incentivized. For this, you know, idea that you know that people are somehow build that into their expectations, and that's what that process is, and it takes away the the sort of uh, intrinsic incentive of oh, I do it because I want to help my community, and you know, yeah. uh, versus I'm doing it because I'm getting paid. If you take your behavioral economist hat off for a second, do you find the idea of a state lottery fun? No. Okay. <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, I, I just, I think, well, okay. And it depends on what you mean by taking my behavioral economist yeah, out of, right? Do that. <laughs> uh, I, I think actually I can't take the economist out of me. I think I, I, from my perspective, I've seen way too many things about the low probabilities associated with these things and, and that it just, it doesn't make, you know, a lot of sense in terms of, uh, the incentive, right. Uh, in terms of the way the incentives are structured, uh, but I mean, if I won, maybe <laughs> it was suddenly fun. Uh, and, and, you know, I can, I can understand why people see it as uh, just like you were talking about that, that, I mean, I think that quite honestly, I think that's what a lot of people, uh, who play the lottery, maybe not habitual, you know, if you're playing the lottery $50 every week or something, uh, those people, you know, that should not be spending that, <laughs> but that's, that's what you do when you buy a lottery ticket or you give somebody a gift of a lottery ticket, right? Is there's this fantasy associated with it and it's an entertainment value. It's similar to a lot of gambling. That's not problem gambling. You know, I don't think a lot of gamblers believe that on balance, you know, they know that the house is going to win, right? On average. Uh, but you, that's, that's what you get. You get some kind of entertainment value about imagining and, and, and thinking that you could win somebody's going to win. Why not me? Uh, kind of thing. Yes. Uh, so that, you know, I understand why people do that, but that being said, I, I don't play a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. And I appreciate the honest answer. I lived in Las Vegas for quite some time. Okay. And um, like you said, apart from problem gambling, that's a different story, but there is kind of that allure and every now and then, you know, throw a 20 on a slot machine and see what happens. And, and you, you know, that it's not going likely not going to happen, but when you start to hear the ding, 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 <laughs> there's, oh, like, yeah. 
there's a little oh yeah we could talk we could talk about las vegas gambling and things and behavioral incentives a lot and those are very well uh you know they they understand the psychology very well of the gambler (laughs) how to keep them gambling uh so uh but uh yeah no i I, it, it definitely uh, and, and, you know, we all need to have dreams, right? There's, <laughs> there's, there's some, some uh, uh, fun aspects of that, of, of trying to sort of, in your, in your head picture, what would it be like? Yeah. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about the extrinsic incentive, crowding out the intrinsic incentive. When it comes to the United States as a whole, I think there's a lot of other countries looking at us and saying, really, it requires some sort of lottery and these major prizes in order to get their population vaccinated when here we are just hoping for more vaccines. You know, I have friends and family in Brazil. And as soon as the vaccines came out here in the U.S., their response was, you are so lucky. And not everyone viewed it that way. And there is hesitancy here in the United States. And I'm taking people out that cannot get the vaccine for medical reasons, right? But um, this idea that there's so much of the world that would really like to have access and supply a vaccine, and then we're playing games around it. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely uh, an interesting perspective in terms of you know, that idea of why does it take it, you know, why does it take things like this to get us, you know, when we've hit in some areas plateauing or, or, or slow, uh, uh, uptake, uh, and, and, you know, I could see the rest of the world kind of seeing us seeing this way. Um, and I don't know if it's unique to, to the, to the United States in terms of the way we, uh, you know, maybe our individual culture or, you know, the way we, you know, some degree sort of uphold that the the financial side maybe there's other I and mean, that's probably it's certainly an overstatement i don't think it's not like we're a bunch of selfish jerks <laughs> you know, but, i don't but, like that either no yeah but but you know to i can i i certainly see the point that uh you know that idea that many people would love to have this vaccine and and here we are tinkering with these you know oh you can win a trip to a Mariners game or, you know, some, something like that. If you just come and come down. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I think it's fascinating just to sort of see, I, I wish I had knew more about it and, or just could really see really why it is that the number of people that are not getting vaccinated, uh, how much of it is ideological, how much of it is misinformation. You know, I do think that we do have, I think one of the answers to your question is that we do have a huge misinformation engine, whole different podcast, right? <laughs> a huge misinformation engine in, in our social media platforms uh, that are they're telling people that, you know, getting the vaccine will um, magnetize them or, or do something, you know, uh, make them infertile or, you know, uh, there's, there's, and, and to the degree that that's influencing people's behavior, that's certainly unfortunate. Yeah. No, it, it's an interesting question for sure. Uh and, and you know, on the positive side, we're sending lots of doses to other countries. Hopefully, hopefully that because it's going to take global vaccination, uh, not just you know. It's the other thing we have to recognize is we're not on an island when it comes to this thing. So. Yeah. Is there anything I haven't asked you that you think would be really relevant or interesting for people that you know isn't making the news necessarily, or just a different perspective on what's happening? Um. 
Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think you've covered most of the issues that I've thought about with respect to, um, particularly with respect to the lottery, with respect to the ideas of incentives. Um, there, you know, there, there, we did talk about, uh, you know, as I said, as economists, we we tend to think about um, direct incentives being more effective or preferable because they're just people can make that calculation and there's and everybody you know you actually get it. There's not you're not playing on their behavioral uh, uh, the cognitive heuristics that that aren't really playing out in terms of their uh, actual uh, earnings and so that could you know, that could directly uh, benefit folks. But I've, you know, from the behavioral perspective, I've also seen enough evidence that, you know, people do see, uh, especially for some reason in the medical realm, uh, that repugnance for for paying uh, people to to change their behavior, uh, whether it's getting shots or uh, donating blood or donating organs or or things like that, uh, and you know that coupled with this idea that it that it somehow crowds out our our intrinsic motives. Um, you know, but I do, I, I mean, I am excited by um, the idea that we can potentially use, I'm not convinced this one's going to do a lot, uh, it may, uh, but I am generally excited by the idea that we can potentially use, uh, because, you know, at the bottom line, if this does get people to to get more, get vaccinated more, that's a net positive for us, right? right. Uh, that's, there's not a downside to that. So it's not like you're tricking people into getting vaccines using their uh, cognitive, uh, uh, you know, tricks that play on their cognitive weaknesses, if you will, or their, their uh, you know, you're getting a net benefit out of it. So there's not a harm in terms of that, unless you're thinking about the cost and the alternatives that you could use that money for. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm really intrigued by these types of policy approaches that recognize the potential for these biases to uh, and how they influence people's behavior. Um, you know, one that I'm thinking of is um, it's not policy, but it's in in finance and banking. There's uh, some evidence that uh, these lottery mechanisms have been used to try and help people save more money. Uh, people that didn't save, they're they're called uh, prize-linked savings accounts, uh, where in essence, and again, it's not it's no lose, right? You're saving more of your money that you probably would, you know, are in a benefit from having more savings down the road. Uh, and there's some evidence that inducing people to do that through adding in, you know, a hundred thousand dollar prize once a year, or these hundred dollar prizes occasionally. Uh, interestingly, uh, from what I understand in much of the United States, or much of these types of mechanisms are illegal in the United States, but they're, they're actually used in other countries um, to sort of help induce, induce more savings. Yeah, I've actually read a little bit about that when I was doing some research for this podcast, and I came across that as well with um, incentive to save. And I actually saw some apps recently when I was trying to be a little bit more focused in some of my tasks. And there's apps that make it basically a game where you don't touch the phone for some time and you can set it aside and really be focused on a singular task. And then it grows a tree or something like that when you don't touch it. And when you do, the tree dies. So it's a little bit of a game, but mm -hmm. it's incentivizing you to do something potentially positive in your life. Sure. Yeah. yeah, where where you know that you have these tendencies, right? Many of us do, myself included, where, you know, if if you look back and and you having regret about how you behave, there's there's you might want to have changed that. And if there's some little mechanism that some little that uses that little you know whatever it is a dopamine thing in your brain or something of 
of uh, uh, some kind of reward. I mean, there are similar things with uh, the, you know, these weight loss things or whatever behavioral change things where people post on, on a site and they, you know, put goals out there explicitly. And then there's a, that motive where you're saying, okay, I've set this goal. And there's, you know, so there's all these sorts of things in that way where, you know, you're using those really implicit rewards, right? There's no money being paid for it, but there's, there's something that's rewarding you somewhere in your brain for changing that behavior. And I think those, you know, there's really a lot of potential in, in, uh, in sort of those very small changes at the margin. Clearly it doesn't take much if seeing a little tree grow on your phone, uh, helps you, you know, be more productive. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, clearly that is not going to help you, uh, you know, uh, finish graduate school or something. <laughs> if there's a big cost associated, but, but for those little things, they can, they can, be, they can add up over time and, and they can really help us out. So I think it's, it's just really exciting that people are starting to build these kinds of things in, in a positive way. The flip side to that is that, you know, as we mentioned with Vegas, uh, you know, they also understand them uh, and they can be used to exploit people too. <laughs> I mean, can be used it to, to exploit the weaknesses to the gain of, of some relative to others. So. Yeah. Is there anything else that you want to mention or that um, I haven't asked? No, I think you've, I think you've covered most of the things that uh, were on my mind regarding this. Great. Yeah. A big thank you to Professor Garrett Milam. I usually do a formal thank you with my guests at the end of the podcast, but this time we got carried away talking past the recording, and I can understand why many of his students describe him as awesome, passionate, and nice. I'm Jessica Janner Castro, and you've been listening to the Mindful Headlines podcast. My goal with each episode is to understand how our minds influence current events so we can better understand our world inside and out. Make sure to subscribe for more episodes and please share with your friends and family. See you next time. Oh,